leap and the net will appear. How many times have you heard this awesome saying? Well, in my experience, there are no truer words spoken. Leap and the net will appear. Do you believe that? Have you experienced this firsthand? I have over and over again. And the reason I have is that I have the courage, even when totally afraid, to take a leap. Without fail, the net appears. Terry Tillman shares in today's podcast this exact truth in a brilliant way. I'm super excited to share this podcast with you. It truly blew my heart and mind open several times. As I journey around California in my SUV pulling a camper trailer and route to Burning Man in a few weeks, I'm leaping all over the place. Every day, a new big leap, and with each leap, more clarity, more surrender, and more focus. As we say here, face your dragon, take the leap, and break free. And guess what? On many levels, I have never felt more free. A big part of this freedom is coming from following my heart and my intuition, ignoring everyone that is telling me I must be crazy to do what I am doing. Living part-time in Costa Rica and living the rest of the time traveling or living out of a camper. This amount of freedom does come at a cost though. It is sometimes harder to focus, sometimes harder to keep up on self-care, and sometimes far more expensive than if I rented a place somewhere. But here's the thing, I would not trade following my heart and soul for the world. There is something so damn freeing and liberating when you do. I dare you, please take the leap. Get out of your comfort zone and stretch. There is only one voice in my head. I can't do this. So I turn around and tell them that I want to quit. And then I see a huge quote printed on the glass window right next to me. Life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. I don't know why, but this short yet powerful sentence gives me the final push, and before I realize it, I walk straight back to the platform and jump off the world's highest bungee platform. During the five seconds of free fall, I remember thinking to myself, it's not as scary as it looks. <laughs> and that thought led to a whole new world. Every time I hear the voice of fear in my head, I can't leave this job because I'm not going to find anything better. I'm scared of entering a new relationship because I don't want to be hurt again. And even a minute ago, before I walked onto the stage, the voice was repeating in my head. Every time I hear that voice, I take a deep breath and tell myself it's never as scary as it looks. Here, Yubing Zhang shares her brilliance at TEDx Stanford in 2015, her story of facing her fear and taking the leap off of the highest bungee tower in the world. So powerful. I recommend you give a listen to the entire thing on YouTube. One of my favorite quotes and concepts from the Upanishads, one of the oldest scriptures of India. From abundance, he took abundance, and still abundance remained. How often we focus on what we can get, what we need, what is next for ourselves, missing a huge key that abundance is everywhere and endless. There is no need to worry, no need to fret, no need to be a taker energetically. Be a giver and watch everything you have ever wanted in your life show up for you. It is not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. Mother Teresa. It all comes down to focus. What you focus on expands. I always remember Tony Robbins sharing in Awaken the Giant Within. I think I first read that book in like 2000 after seeing him speak for the first time in Anaheim, California. I was inspired and motivated to learn from this champion. He really does get so much on so many levels. In the book, he shares a simple concept and visual around focus. Imagine you're in a car and sliding towards a wall. The last place you want to focus your attention is on the wall. It is far more important than necessary for survival and thrival in life to focus on where you want to go and only there. Being a motocross racer and extreme sports guy for decades, I know how damn truthful this is. Focus on what matters. As Tim Cook says, you can focus on things that are barriers or you can focus on scaling the wall or redefining the problem. And remember this simple truth, thoughts become things. So focus on what you want. If it is wealth, focus on that. If it is love, focus on that. If it is bliss, focus on that. This is where the gold is. 
I remember when I was running my center in Orange County, California for years, people would come and go, thousands of people over the five plus years. Many understood the law of abundance, many did not. They failed miserably at getting the law of circulation and the benefit that comes from being generous with your time, resources, and money. Now I get it. These were different times, frankly. The center opened up right after the Great Recession hit the world around. Many people were desperate. It was scary times. Still, we all forged ahead, diving deep into cooperation models and playing in abundance, instead of competition in greed and scarcity. Now don't get me wrong, I had some lean times then as well and was in the thick of it myself, but my steadfast commitment was to hold the container in context of what we can do for each other instead of what you can do for me. And guess what? It really worked. So many served, so many opened, so many experienced the love and support they never had before. It really works, but only if you have faith and trust. Do you? Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. At age 74, my dear friend and mentor, Terry Tillman, runs circles around most people of any age. He truly is one of the sharpest and most energetic humans I know. With many decades of transformational work under his belt, he conducts seminars and speaks internationally for groups of 50 to 15,000 participants. He's run seminars from LifeSpring to Insight and has been teaching self-development in the wilderness of Idaho and Patagonia for 25 years. Through his 22-7 company, he's done leadership and team-building seminars in 94 countries for large companies such as Ford, Ericsson, and International Paper. Over 150,000 people have shared experiences and partnered with Terry in experiential transformational learning. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, from which came the hit movie The Secret, and a founding member alongside of me at the Association of Transformational Leaders. In the 60s, he was part of the Times Changing, one of the Grammy Award-winning New Christie Minstrels Band as their original banjo player. Pretty cool story he will share more about in the interview. Give a listen as this seasoned pro shares from a true place of wisdom and experience. Terry Tillman, it's great to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast, my friend. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Really curious where today's conversation is going to go. We have no idea. And, and uh, you know, we were just talking about some of the dragons you've had to face, Terry. I'm curious. Let's dive right in. What What is, would you say, is one of the biggest dragons you've had to face in your life? So I love I love the area. I mean, my whole work has been the, the comfort zone model. I'm the guy that developed that. So way back in the early 70s, I, I'm, everybody's heard the term, but don't know if they've seen the way it's presented. Right. But anyway, so getting to that edge of the comfort zone is where the dragon shows up. You bet. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that it's it's usually defined by belief systems and unconscious embedded stuff that we obviously really know about. But anyway, the biggest to answer your question, I had somewhere inside of me and, you know, I'll trace it back to past life stuff for those who are aware of that area. I'm irrational fear of going broke and being on the street. The, re, the result is, bottom line, I have made and lost what most people call a fortune three times. You know, Jeez. what you fear will come upon you. <laughs> sure. If, see, if we go into that, I, I now understand how that all works. You know, the, the science and uh, uh, metaphysics of it. But that's been my challenge. And I would be, have, be afraid of being out on the street, homeless. And it made no sense. Even when I had great wealth, I still had that inside of me. So learning to, to release that, overcome it, let it go, clear it, uh, has been, you know, probably my biggest one. Interesting. Uh, sure. Yeah. So yeah. where you know, obviously, we learn stuff from our childhood, or like you said, past lives too. I I like to more focus on what we can do now. Meaning, uh, where did we learn that fear or adopt that fear from mom or dad or rebel against another one? Mm -hmm. Well, that's yeah. the that's the more traditional awareness, but sometimes that won't handle all of it. 
Right. You know, I mean, I have a, I'm not a psychologist, but I've taught psychologists. They've been in my courses a lot and come to me for experience. Um, so you can do so much with, uh, you know, the, the mind is very limited. Uh, you probably discovered that by now, the brain mind. <laughs> and it's, um, to, to really get the big answers and truth, we got to go outside of that some, somehow, some way. So that's where it isn't just past life, but that's where it could be genetics. It could be ancestry. It could be there's stuff we bring in with us. And that can be, you know, very limiting. In, in my world, limiting is limiting. In your world, the dragon. That, could, that can be the source of the dragon. And uh, so if we, you know, if you want to deal with it, we, we, the best way I know to deal with any of this stuff, uh, and there's lots of other techniques, but the best way I know is, is go into it and through it. Uh, we used to say the way to is through. You know, so rather than come up against it and go back away from it, and there's lots of reasons, you know, you can be, the, the dragon in my model is where resistance shows up. And that resistance can be physical. I can be tired, hungry, uh, you know, in pain, sad, a lot of stuff that's, that'll show up in the physiology. And that will stop me from proceeding, or I will let it stop me. It can be um, mental, with all of the great reasons why I'm going to go back to what's familiar rather than toward or through the dragon and what I'm afraid of or resisting. And the reasons, the thing, the problem with that is all the reasons are good ones. There, there isn't a bad one. Every single one, you know, I'm tired. I can't afford it. Um, I don't know how. I'm, it's not my realm. It's, uh, you know, whatever we tell ourselves. And the problem with that is that the reasons or, and the results we say we want are mutually exclusive. And I don't get both. <laughs> so if I'm giving the reasons, the logic, the explanation, the justification, I won't get through and pass that dragon and toward what I, to what I say I want. So if I really want it, I got to I got to let go of all those reasons, you know, and that, the mental part can be really strong and logic and all the stuff we've learned from parents and peers and school and, and, you know, that we bought into and then be, and becomes part of our belief system. We think it's true and it isn't necessarily true. You know, so then we got to work our way through that. It can show up the resistance. You know, the dragon could be an emotional one. Fear is the most common in all the forms that shows up, but it could be sadness. It could be. Uh, you know, anger, a lot of ways that emotion shows up. And, and uh, whatever it is, what I found is I got to go toward it rather than away from it. What I, I agree 100%. What I, what I say is you got to find your dragon, face it, and ride it. Right? It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not really any. Of course, you watch Avatar or How to Train Your Dragon or listen to any other fables of the monsters in the closet. You know, Monsters, Inc.'s another awesome mm -hmm. depiction of that what we're most fearing is our greatest strength, our greatest, it's the, our moneymaker, our gift to humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So facing it and using it, I like to actually say to leverage fear and use fear, not necessarily dissolve it. What do you think about that? Um, well, I know a lot about fear because I, and in my wilderness trip, I, I don't do this anymore, but I used to have people give feedback because I always wanted to improve it. Well, I've done it enough. I know what they're going to say. And there was one experience we did that I did by, not by design, it just showed up one day and I did it. And it's, people tell me it's the most effective experience with fear and learning how to deal with it that they've come upon. So basically, the only time I'm afraid, so first of all, you know, courage, you gotta be courageous to deal with fear. But the thing about courage is you don't need it when you're not afraid. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, there's no place for it. So. Realizing that was helpful to me. Like I, I thought, God, I'm a chicken. I mean, I'm I'm afraid. You know, well, that's normal. It is. The other most most important thing was to understand what fear is. And fear is a fantasy. It's an hallucination. It comes from my hallucination. It comes from where I focus, what my focus is on. I could be, you know, uh, on my wilderness trip, we do rock climbing, for example. I'm not really a rock climber, and yet after years of doing this, a couple times a year. I have scaled a 2,000-foot vertical face that looks like half dome in Yosemite. Wow. And I look at that, and I said, for years, I said, you got to be crazy to do that. Well, I actually did it, terrified at the thought of doing it. <laughs> but when I finally decided I'm going to do this and actually went into it, it was, it was about five hours of the most present experience I've ever had. And I learned a lot about what the fear was. I, I was turning it on and off, and it all came from where my focus was entirely 100 percent so the source of the fear 
wasn't real, but the experience of it was. So I might, you know, like I might, what I'm saying is the source, like I might think, oh my God, I'm a thousand feet off the ground. If I miss this move, I could fall and let's suppose the, the, my guide doesn't repel properly or the carabiner isn't tightened properly or I, and I've plunged a thousand feet down and, you know, my head hits like a watermelon, you know, and well, I'm making all this up. Right. It's, it's fantasy. It's not true. And I, when I started seeing this, cause I'd start to get, you know, anxious and nervous and I was, and then I, you know, I wasn't enjoying the climb and I was missing a hold or, you know, I wasn't focused. And then when I'd switch it and, and say, Oh my God, I, nobody, I'll bet you there aren't 10 people in the world who've ever had the view from this spot. This is amazing. Or I've made it this far. I can do the rest. Or let's see, where's the next hole? Where's the next move? Or when I, when I looked ahead, you know, what am I going to feel like when I get to the top? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm probably ex the biggest Yahoo I've ever had in my life. Or, you know, th this actually, this is kind of fun. You know, when I look at something positive, the fear wasn't there. So it was entirely where I directed my focus, and I had complete control over that. It didn't always feel like it. It felt like, the, you know, I can't help it, I'm afraid. But the truth was, I, I, I could help it. And, and so that's the whole deal is where am I putting my focus? And then, so, you know, what do I, and so then it becomes, okay, let me practice putting my focus on what I want more of, not what I don't want. And, and I would say that's the most practical thing I've learned. And it's probably the most valuable thing that comes out of my seminars. And the, you know, because it can be used every day. It, it isn't just for fear. It's, it's how, you know, this, the, the law of attraction that we've been teaching that for as long as I've been doing this, 40 sure. plus years. It wasn't called that initially. And the movie, The Secret, you know, introduced it to a huge population, but it missed some stuff. It wasn't, it didn't tell the whole story. And what wasn't clear or even emphasized or even talked about much was it, it isn't enough to just focus and visualize you got to take some steps and steps in what direction you don't know. You know, you don't know. And the clarity never shows up initially. It shows up on the way and it won't be, it never be any other way. So it's like, take a step and then you have a little more information. And at some point those, and then, and then you make another choice and you take a step. Oh, I've got to laugh, it, dude. I've got to insert this because you know, the, the listeners may or may not know, but I'm sitting in my camper trailer. I'm, I'm back from Costa Rica for the summer here in, in the States. And I'm, I'm in my camper trailer and I'm laughing because, well, let me say I bought an SUV. I bought a BMW X5 and a, and a brand mm -hmm. new camper trailer to tow around. And it's been exactly what you're saying. I mean, I, I'm probably describing your process every right? <laughs> second of the day because there's such a learning curve that I wasn't anticipating. And you know what we say here is face your dragon, take the leap and break free. And it's, uh -huh. you know, the old saying of or adage or quote, whatever, a leap in the net will appear. And, and yes, you just nailed you it. it so yeah. well, Terry. I mean, first, irrational fear. Miguel Ruiz on episode one talks about mm -hmm. irrational fear Four agreements author. And then, uh -huh. you know, that's just that's it. Focusing your thoughts, focusing yeah. on what you do want. I'll never forget Tony Robbins story in Awaken the Giant from Within, where he's t driving a a car gives the analogy of a car. You don't want to stare at the wall when you're sliding. You want to yeah. stare where you want to go, right? So, but, exactly. but, but none of these can, things can surface unless we just leap and trust. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people call it risk, but you do you do that enough. For me, it's, but you, the, say those three steps again. Yeah, face your face dragon, dragon, take the leap, break take free. Take the leap and break free, okay. So that's the process. I mean, I have my own way of describing it, yep. but it's essentially the same thing. And one of the ways, uh, what I tell people is, you know, they say, well, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to get to whatever this dream is, and how do I know where to go? And I said, well, here's one way. Do the thing you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Always. So, I mean, that doesn't mean throw your intelligence away and jump off the 50-story building, you know, but go toward the resistance. And, and you know where that is. It's, you, you know, you, you, you feel it in your body or you hear it in your language or, you know, or you're, you're emotional, the fear or something. You know, you go toward it instead of away from it and into it and, you know, ride the dragon. I mean, I, I want to get off the dragon at some point, but it's for me, I say experience it. <laughs> have the, you know, experience and allow the experience, which will have some anxiety and some doubt and some uncertainty and ambiguity and all that. Uh, but that's part of the process. And in that, 
I teach people what what people coming out of my leadership training say more often than not is they say I now I now know I can do anything, not as theory but from experience. So they go, you know, we take them through a variety. It, it can be the simplest thing, like you're not going to wear your watch this week, <laughs> and it could it could be what seems innocuous, but for some people, oh my God, how am I going to possibly do that? You know, it could be that, or it could be some physical risk. You know, like my climbing the two thousand foot face. Do the thing you don't go toward the resistance. I mean, it could be you know going without dessert for a week. Uh, it could be some simple little thing, but for somebody who's addicted. It could be the most big, the biggest challenge they face. So right, Terry. Yeah, I, I have a lot of my clients similar things. I'll, I'll, I'll have them remove whatever, whatever they're doing, sex, uh, exercise, drugs, alcohol. You know, mm -hmm. just remove. You know, do a thirty-day, ninety-day celibacy and just feel all of your feelings, sober celibacy. Yeah. You know, just feel it all. Right. Yeah, terrific, terrific. And that's why they need your coaching because if they if they could do it or knew how to do it, they would have done it. <laughs> True. Yeah. You know? And it's, even if they knew it was something that, I mean, how many people have said, I got to lose some weight? <laughs> and yeah. they know that part of the way to do that is stop eating sugar. Right. And they don't do it. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, or they do they, for a couple of days and then the urge or the compulsion, right? That, that stimulus and response experience happens. And yeah. 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 Yep. And so, you know, and they need someone to believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And that's you. Let's yeah. shift gears, brother. I know you were you were a famous musician back in the day. Tell us what that whole experience was like for you. You know, facing all of your fears as you oh, wow. were an up and coming yeah. musician, sleeping on picnic <laughs> benches. Wasn't that you saying that yes, last yes, week? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still look back on that as one of the, fondly as one of the best periods of my life. But in in high school, uh, and I'm 74. Right? I used to be embarrassed to say I'm not now because. The 40-year-olds don't keep up with me a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, that's true. I barely keep up with you, buddy. Yeah, uh, but in high when I was in high school, folk music, there was a, what was called the folk boom. Folk music became bigger than rock and roll for a period of time. And something inside of me fell in love with a banjo. I had no, you know, no music in my, my family. I mean, they didn't even play the radio. There was no instruments, nothing. <laughs> but for some reason, I fell in love with the sound of that, and I decided I just got to do that. And so I... I Bought a Montgomery Ward's banjo for $25 and, you know, and just fell, fell in love with it and taught myself. And then ended up buying, I'm looking at my banjo right now. I haven't played it in 15 years, but it's a, it's like an art piece over in the corner of the room. You know, it, it, my ba current banjo is worth a lot of money, I, for, you know, I found out. But I bought it for $150 back in the 50s. And um, so, so anyway, I, I for who knows where this stuff comes from? How do you know what you love? How do you know you love the mo motorcycle? You know, where, that, where does that come from? Uh, it just comes from, from the ethers, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But when it's in there, you know, and, and I think I heard you say, I couldn't not do it. Yep. Yeah. So when that's there, I think it's really important to move on it. And it's irrational, and you'll get a lot of resistance. The world will tell you why not to, and, you know, and the reasons and all that. But anyway, that so that arose inside of me, and I went down that path, and I ended up forming a band. Yeah, I can tell you all the steps. It was wonderful, the whole experience. And and in our little town of Eugene, Oregon, it just grew from playing at school events to Rotary Club to, you know, pretty soon where other cities are inviting us. And and then we, we got invited to go to Los Angeles by Randy Sparks and started a group called the New Christie Minstrels. And we were the start of that, a group of four of us. This in the, the Christie's first album won a Grammy. It was album of the year. Da 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 da. They they ended up a weekly on a on the Andy Williams show it was a weekly TV show, and it just kind of took off. But in but we were I'm skipping a lot of the story because that that all sounds glamorous. <laughs> yeah. And 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 yeah, tell in us a way, some dirt here, buddy. So yeah. So but <laughs> what I'm not telling you, you know yet is that we were starving artists. And, and uh, Randy, who we thought was a, a Hollywood star, said, oh, you can stay in my guest house. Well, we had visions of a Bel Air mansion. And we arrive at his, his house, which is a two-bedroom, 900-square-foot ranchette in Tarzana, California. And the guest house is a bunkhouse that's a room about 14 feet by 20 feet that was full of junk and his collection of rare instruments. And there was not a bed in it, no room to stay, you know. We cleaned it out, literally hosed it down, and put together places to sleep. So I slept on top of a picnic table with a chaise lounge, you know, like a two-inch thick mattress on top of it. One of the guys slept on the chaise lounge springs with some blankets to soften it, and someone else slept on the 
on the box springs of a single bed and the other one slept on the mattress. <laughs> so we would go to uh, Loop's restaurant, a little, you know, it'd be like Denny's, and order a meal because we were hungry and couldn't pay for it and then tell them, you know, we can't pay but we'll wash dishes. You know, I mean, it was that level of poverty for a while. But we, you know, people liked us and we were pretty good. And, and we ended up playing at the Troubadour, which is still like a top venue in Los Angeles. Uh, we started as a third act, and we had worked with the Bonanza guys. You know the Bonanza TV show? It was the yeah, longest running yeah. TV show ever. So Pernell Roberts and Michael Landon we met because we had done a rodeo with them in Oregon. And for, spent a week with them in the trailer and talked to them. And, you know, and they said, well, when you're in Los Angeles, make sure you come and visit us, and you know, we'll get you into the show. So we would go down to Paramount Studios and watch them film Bonanza, and sometimes they'd put us in as extras and you know, and then so they started coming to our show at the Troubadour because they were coming. It got in the Hollywood press and suddenly the there were lines outside the Troubadour to come and see our show. And, that, you know, so we got it just all happened You know, <laughs> from that. You know, the, around that time, we got a record contract and put out a record way too soon before we were ready to. But did made an album and traveled and you know for four we were 19 and 20 years old so it was so much fun for wow. kids that age you know it was just you know but i was going to stanford university at the time and we left for los angeles after my first year the other guys were at the university of oregon so i i told my dad i said you know i'm not going to go back to school next year you know the fairmount singers we called and said we're going to go to los angeles we have a job for two weeks and i think we can do something and dad my dad said told me i'm crazy he said he said you're 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 going to ruin your life, uh, you know, stupidest decision you've ever made. Don't ever ask me for anything ever again. You're on your Jeez. own now, you know. So I basically got kicked out of the house. <laughs> and But somewhere, and the thing I learned most from all this is be true to myself. Follow my heart. And there will always be the naysayers. You know, I call them the Mexican crabs. There they will always be somebody trying to tell you that what you're doing is irresponsible, stupid, uh, waste, whatever. And so that was my dad, pretty influential in my life. And, um, they have but a way, I did of, it anyway. way of doing that, don't they? Parents? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look back now, and he only wanted the best for me, but the way he talked to me about it didn't work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I was scarred for quite a while with it. The, the good news is it's why I got into the work I do. I'm trying to repair that scar. So anyway, I, we did really well. We had so much fun. The, the other three guys are my still my best friends. Uh, we get together once a year now and laugh and you know, they're my dearest friends. They're like my family more than my family. But I left the group to go back to college. And, be, you know, all the family pressure, my dad and, and aunts and uncles and other people, you know, in the family, they didn't say it so directly all the time, but I knew that I felt the pressure there, you know, get back to school. So I gave in to other people's point of view and advice and opinions. And I did finish Stanford and all that, but I didn't enjoy it. The only way Stanford served me is I can say I graduated from Stanford, <laughs> and that has some cachet. You know, it's opened some doors. But in terms of what I learned in the classroom, hardly anything. Right. Useful. I mean, the retention. I I get that those letters matter. I certainly know tons of PhDs and MDs and masters, MBAs. I personally am not a fan of structured education. Mm -hmm. uh, I I get everything you're saying, but more than anything, let's let's poke around in this following your your own heart, your own instincts and the fears that get in the way, the social fears, the mm -hmm. familial uh, challenges, you know, uh, societal and and cultural challenges that oftentimes create that I'll do what you say because it's not worth bucking the system and following my heart. It's I mean, what was that yeah, experience yeah. for you? Because I, I just oh, know well, so many people in that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was really painful. I mean, but but the good the good news there's good news in all of it. It's all a blessing, but I didn't always see it at the time. Most people, and I, well, let's, I'll speak for myself. I had much higher approval needs than I realized. I, I eventually realized I was living my life according to what I thought other people expected of me, and no wonder I wasn't happy because I wasn't doing my life. Well, I found out that's pretty common. You know, we're basically good people. We want to do well, and we we you know we we do what we're taught believing it was the thing to do or the right thing. And a lot of the lessons were the same about what was right and proper and good and advantageous. So like, for example, one of them was you'll never get anywhere without a college degree. Well, absolutely not true, but <laughs> a lot of us were told that. I mean, Jobs and Bill Gates and I mean, yeah, you go I mean, on, I'm, on I'm, the list of people that I'm didn't. Basically graduate. a high school dropout. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, but I, you know, I went back to school and then right out of college, my, my dad was a businessman. My grandfather was a businessman. I was the last male in our family line. And it was just kind of always around me that I would go into business. And, and so I did. And I, I had, I started and entrepreneured and type aid six different companies and it looked successful. Uh, you know, I had trappings, I had you know, a nice house and I was president of the Rotary Club for a while. I had 50-yard line football tickets. I owned an airplane at one time, sure. da, 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 blah, blah, blah. It, but I was absolutely miserable. Right. I mean, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I'd drink at the end of the night to, to relax. I, I slept two and three hours a night, insomniac. I mean, but I didn't want anybody to know. So, I mean, I, I was extreme. I was, and I did that for 15 years. And I literally didn't take a vacation longer than three days. Wow. And that was never a vacation. You know, it was always, business was always on my mind. I was always worried, payroll to make, uh, you know, getting the next contract. Uh, you know, it, it, I didn't enjoy it. So, you know, and so the, the value of that is I learned the price I pay when I'm not true to myself. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a price to pay. I mean, the other price was my father's disapproval and my peers' disapproval and, and judgment. You know, I was sensitive to the judgment of others. And that, that felt like a price to pay, you know. Like, I don't want that, so I'll do, you know, I'll go down this path of what I think should be done and who I should be. I avoided their judgment and disapproval, but I also paid this other horrible price. And so which one do I want to, what's the price I want to pay? Man, I am so with you there. I, I've always leaned towards the other the other way in the sense that I would rather have to navigate and be alone or lonely and risk social ostracization. And uh, mm -hmm. as John Jolie shared a couple podcasts ago about belonging, he's a 40, I think 40 year veteran um, psychologist, 30, 30 plus year veteran psychologist. You know, he worked with the Jim Carrey on his uh, at his philanthropic organization. He co-created it with Jim. His whole thing around that was belonging. And it's hmm. interesting because social ostracization is a very big one. We're, we're, I think, sort of wired to avoid social ostracization, mainly for survival at the primal level, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the tiger will eat us if we don't have our tribe or our crew here to keep us afloat or alive. Mm -hmm. and, and then, but the belonging thing was such an interesting thing. You know, we really don't want to experience being an outsider and, and not receiving love at our core, right? Doesn't it ultimately come back no, to that? I yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, almost every every interview I've done, somewhere near the end, they say, "What's the one piece of advice that you think most valuable for our viewers or listeners?" And it's always been loving. If yeah. I would learn to be more loving and practice that, everything else kind of falls in place. Yeah, really. Uh, but we're, you know, as far as I can tell, we're we are social animals. Uh, we're meant to work together and. You know, we grew up in the United States and we're proud of capitalism and um, the Protestant ethic and work hard and you'll get your rewards and, uh, you know, da, 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 da. It's associated now with the, the right wing conservative approach, but it's falling away. You know, I mean, we it was talked about as the, the Piscean age giving way to the age of Aquarius. And, you know, what's the difference? Piscean was very individualistic. Aquarius is working together. So we're seeing, and we're seeing this in business, is where I've worked a lot in the last 20 years, a movement toward cooperation rather than competition. All of us know more than any of us. None of us know as much as all of us. And if we can learn to cooperate and work together, everybody wins. Everybody gets more. And so we're seeing this now in all kinds. Of, when we present this in our business seminars, you know, 40 years ago, they'd laugh at us and argue and you know, come on, get out here in the real world with the rest of us. <laughs> come in competition. Yeah. And it's dog eat dog and blah, blah, blah. However, I've watched this now in my career evolve to where we're seeing things like, um, oh, like the Star Alliance. The most competitive industry, one of the most, is the airline industry. More bankruptcies happen there. And every major U.S. airline has been in bank in a, through bankruptcies, sometimes more than once. So very competitive industry, thin margins, low profits, uh, high expenses, huge capital needs. It's a difficult business. And Lufthansa, German Airlines, started this Star Alliance thing, figuring what if we, you know, we, we don't cover all the routes and we have customers who go with us part of the way and then they go with another airline the rest of the way of their trip. What if we cooperated with each other? What if we networked? What if... We formed an alliance, a cooperation, where we serve the customers. 
and so you know, I don't know if you fly, but this—I mean, I know you do fly. But you know, if you're familiar with the Star or your listeners, Star Alliance, the One World, yeah. all there are these major airline alliances now. So, for years, I was in United's top frequent flyer level. I mean, I got a lot of points, and you get privilege for that. I was flying 250,000 air miles a year. Wow! So you you get you know free upgrades. You you get first in line. You get all these. You know, you get into their. VIP rooms and and airports and makes traveling just so much easier. And yet, I mean, most of my work has been international outside the United States. And so, uh, you know, I started realizing like I'd be doing a seminar in London and I'd be introducing the idea of cooperation versus competition. We do it all experientially. We don't just do theory. We we do you know my things experiential learning. We set up a, some experience, a game or something, and out of that the, the learnings develop. So I'm, I'm working on this part of the, the seminar and talking about cooperation versus competition. And someone asked some challenging question or challenged me or something. And, you know, this isn't the real world. Nobody would do that. And I said, well, you know what? I told what I just told you. You know, I'm in United's top frequent flyer class. I get these privileges. And yet I flew over here on Lufthansa. Why would I do that? Yeah, why are you? That's stupid. You lost points. You know, you just you just flew 7,000 miles and you didn't get the 7,000 points. That, that was stupid. I said, well, maybe, except Lufthansa and United are cooperating and my United points work with Lufthansa. So, and now there's something like 20 airlines in this alliance. Uh, I can cite a whole bunch of examples. It's happening more and more and more. You know, right. Car dealerships are pooling money for advertising. They're building their dealerships on what, the same cul-de-sac and drawing the customers in because they know that Someone visiting the Ford dealer is going to walk next door to Toyota and look at their cars too. And so they all get more traffic and potential customers. Now, but this wasn't done 40 years ago. No way. Yeah. Huge fan of this conversation, Terry. You know, for many years when I when I was producing events in Southern California, uh, I mean, I, I think you know this, but I've produced almost 200 live events with some of the biggest thought and business leaders. In the, and it was mm-hmm. really focused on that cooperative model. How can we support each other? It's not, don't come in here and think about what you can get. Think about what you can give and let's all play together and just give all over each other and everyone will win. You know, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, that's, you know, I've got a whole I've got workshops built around that one statement. Oh, made. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll detour into that. Well, yeah, let's concept. talk about that. I mean, why, why yeah. do you think people are so guarded in, in that regard? What is it? What is the driver in people that keeps them like this is mine? You know, that sort of greed, fear, greed, selfish interest. Uh, and so how do you get past that? Trust and faith initially, but that's hard for people, you know, and if you do trust and faith long enough, you'll get to the point when you see the result of that, you get to the place where you know this is true, but most people aren't in that knowing. So, you know, if you want to go there, then you got to rely on trust and faith initially till you've developed enough experience that, by God, this is true. You know, let's get into what's the metaphysical teaching, but truth is truth, capital T. Most truth is small t belief stuff. And if you search, you know, eventually you'll find some of the truth. Well, here's one of them. It's called the law of abundance. And it's just like gravity. It's, it's um, a more fundamental law than, than the uh, law of attraction. Law of attraction is a, a subset of the law of abundance. Uh, what do you call it? A corollary. But the law of abundance is, it basically says that the design on the planet is that there's an unbroken flow of giving and receiving. And the natural result is abundance, is more. Uh, you know, if you look at nature, it's where you see this most obviously, but, you know, a, a, let's say a tree, a, a deciduous tree that, you know, it goes through the seasons and the leaves drop off and they fall into the soil and they become fertilizer for the tree to receive and grow again. Uh, the, the way water flows on the planet. I mean, I can go into depth of all of these, but the natural design is for that flow to be unbroken and produce abundance. But when it's blocked, when that, that cycle of giving and receiving is blocked in any way, the abundance is reduced or even disappears. You know, one of the, I, I've, I've worked all over the world, and I remember the first time I went to Israel, we were uh, taken to the source of the Jordan River, which there's two sources, but one is in northern Israel. I think it was called the Banyos or something like that. It comes out of the ground. Then the Jordan River flows south until it gets to the Sea of Galilee, which is a big lake. And that's it's the most abundant part of the eastern Mediterranean, the Israel. There's uh, agriculture, fishing, tourism, and it's actually it's very pretty and it's abundant. In a lot of ways you'd measure it financially too, you know. Nat- there's natural abundance. And then the Jordan 
exits south out of the Sea of Galilee until it gets to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's dead. There's no, the only life is mineral life. And, and, uh, and now it's even, it's, it's the lowest spot on the planet. And now it's even, uh, it's now two seas because it's the waters, there's you know, a drought and the water's disappearing. And why is it dead? Because it receives and does not give. Mm. It has no outlet. You know, so you, there's lots of examples. If you just look around the natural design, and we're part of nature, we're part of that. And so if we don't continue giving, and so where I discovered, this is why I, I made and lost three fortunes, because I kept trying to accumulate it, get more, but I wasn't generous. I wasn't giving it back. Mm-hmm. And nature won't allow that. At some point, it will, the dam will break. You know, at some point, it will, it will go back into the flow. Yeah, the, the, the law of circulation is really key. I, I, I so get that. Even when things are tight or scarce or you're worried, you still need to be generous with your time, with your energy, with money. Do your best to yeah. keep it flowing, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so then, you know, and then and in that process, so it's like do the thing you don't want to do. What I eventually learned to do is just be generous. Like, and it started little ways. Maybe I'm at a restaurant and I have a, a meal and instead of tipping, 15%, I'd tip 20 or more. Uh, you know, back in, in the day, there were pay phones. You know, I'd make a phone call and I'd leave coins at the pay phone or a parking meter. You know, it would be just little things like that. It just start the process of letting it go, giving it out and, and, and to where it was uncomfortable for me. I remember the first time I bought a new watch and I thought, I don't need a new watch. I, this one works perfectly fine. And a friend of mine took me into a jewelry store and said, you need a new watch. And you know, this is back in the days when digital watches were brand new. And he said, you, this is really cool. It's got an alarm on it. It's got a stopwatch. Da, da, da. And I said, all I need is time. My watch works. Yeah. He said, yeah, well, why don't you just try it on? And I said, oh, I'll try it on. It was this gold-plated digital watch, brand new, you know, a new, new thing. Anyway, I ended up walking out of the jewelry store with a, a gold-plated new digital watch, you know. And it, I don't know what it cost. It was, could, have been, could have been $300 or something. It, it wasn't that much. But at the time, to me, it was absolutely unnecessary, extravagant, a waste, you know, irresponsible. <laughs> so, but I built it up to that, you know, to, I kept, you know, and, and then I owned one suit and I ended up going into Wilkes-Bashford in, in San Francisco and buying three, I spent about $15,000 on clothes. This is 1978. Oh my gosh. 77 when that was, I don't know, that was probably $50,000 today. At least. Yeah. And, but it was. I had the money, but didn't know I had it. I, I, I mean, I behaved as though I was broke. You know, it was, and then I ended up buying the first Porsche 928 sold west of the Mississippi, and that all of this just to get myself to break this block I had against letting go, you know, giving. And I figured when I bought the car, I figured, well, this is really stupid and irresponsible, but I'm going to spend the money, and I wrote a check for it. I didn't even know I could do that. I mean, I, I. Yes, intellectually, no, I had the money in the bank, but I didn't have anything in my consciousness that would do that. <laughs> and so I thought, I got to get free of this. And so I, I bought the car thinking, I'll just, I'll drive it for a week and sell it. I know I'll lose money because I sold it, but you know, I think the car was $28,000. This is once again, 1977. And uh, I, I thought, okay, so I resell it for 22000 or something like that. So it'll cost me 6000 for the lesson. <laughs> well, I had the car for about eight years. <laughs> One of the best cars I've ever had. So, but anyway, that was my process of learning to let go and detach. And, and then, you know, that was the start of it, but it got bigger. It got, you know, I, I lost a multi-million dollar property I built in Ketchum, Idaho, that I can go through all the stuff. And in the process of learning to let go, I, I learned that, you know what, I'm always okay. I always have what's sufficient. I have enough. I always have food to eat. I have shelter. I have friends. I have work I like. And, you know, and then it would build back up. And out of that losing, I found that it was really gaining. And what I gained was freedom. And what I gained was learning to detach. And all suffering, I mean, this Buddha taught this. I didn't know this until I'd gone through it myself. But all suffering comes from attachment. Uh, think about that. So I've learned, I'm really good at letting go. I'm pretty unattached. And there's a freedom that comes with that that, Oh boy! I mean, you know, back in the days when I had ulcers, I had no idea. I'm really breathing into what you're saying there uh, in the attachment piece and expectations and managing expectations. Our friend Christine Hassler 
with her mm-hmm. uh, expectation hangover mm. podcast and book and yeah it's really good mm-hmm. awesome yeah. stuff so like what's a process to help people move through being stuck or attached or frozen and afraid it's a quick process you got terry well first of all i i, I think it's really hard to do alone I mean, you can read this stuff, and but very few people read the book and actually implement what's right. told. So I've I've relied on. I mean, what I've settled into for years is large group seminars. I, I love working with a group. You know, when we started, it wasn't called coaching, but work with a coach. And if the coach's experience are any good, then you know, to answer your question, there's lots of stuff that can be done. Lots of stuff. So is there any one? To me, it depends on the individual and what they're working with. You know, exposure therapy we talked about earlier. I think that's a big one. Breathing breath is another one, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The founder of Gestalt Therapy uh, fears excitement without the breath. Well, here, all right. So here's here's the most practical. And I was talking about this with fear earlier. But the way I'd say it is where you look is where you go. Yeah. So what I focus on is what ends up manifesting it's what i it, literally it's what i call reality now this is said many ways you know thoughts become things um as you believe and conceive you achieve um yeah there's a many ways it's said but it all has to do with focus and, and focus could be visual it could be what i tell myself inside it's where my feelings are directed the seeing is above all i believe so the seeing might not just be with visual of my eyes it could be my imagination inside it can be i can go to a a soul level perspective or, you know, whatever else. But basically how it is for me is where I look is where I go. So if that's true and it is, what I need to practice is focus on what I want more of. If that's and true and it is, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people don't know it yet or they sure. might doubt it or whatever. And, sure. You know, if they don't, if they haven't experienced it, it's not yet true for them. That's true. And the more we do it, like it said in The Secret, the more you do it, the more you believe it, the more it happens. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to recommend becomes... everybody watch the movie The Secret if you haven't ever revisited. I'm probably going to watch it today. I've, I'm re- yeah. really realizing my thoughts when I'm under heavy stress aren't always in the best, most intentional focus. Uh, mm-hmm. They aren't directed. No. Yeah. And, it, and it needs to be. Pro- we weren't taught this. Right. You know, we were taught the opposite. I mean, I remember the first time I experienced fear. And this is this is typical with people like I, I, I climbed everything inside as a kid and we had nice. trees in our backyard and I was trying to get to the very top of a, a cedar tree in our backyard and I'm climbing up the branches and someone would have to barely reach to and I'd swing my feet up over and I'd be hanging upside down till I could write myself on top of it and go to the next branch. And I'm way up near the top on some skinny branch and I'm hanging upside down, my feet wrapped around, my hands wrapped around and the branch breaks. But it doesn't break off entirely. So, you know, my head's pointing straight to the ground. And a neighbor lady comes out of her back. I'm in my backyard and her backyard is against ours. And she sees me up there and she went hysterical. Oh, my God, get down. Oh, does your mother know? Get down. Oh, my, you're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to kill yourself. No, no, hysterical. And until that moment, it never occurred to me that there's any danger in this. (laughs) It was just problem solving. Okay, the branch broke. Now what do I do? Yeah. Add those up through a lifetime. All of the warnings, all of the, the times we've been taught about, you know, the, the red marks on our school paper, all of these things that we were taught by elders and peers and teachers, we didn't know we were even taught, but the focus on the negative, on what could go wrong, on what, you know, so pretty soon we're afraid of failing, we're afraid of making a mistake, we're afraid of being hurt. Well, how'd that happen? Because of all this emotional amplitude that directed toward a negative possible result that hadn't even happened yet, right? So we got to overcome that. You know, those are the birth of the dragons. You know, how do you overcome it? By redirecting the focus. You know, where you look is where you go. And so there's techniques, you know, that we, we've been teaching visualization techniques, affirmations. Uh, you know, there's lots of little techniques now. There's hypnotism. There's hypnotherapy. There's EFT. I first knew it as ENET. Learned that 35 years ago. You know, tapping. Good. NLP. There's a lot of disciplines. Sure. that basically support us to learn how to direct our focus toward what we want more of. Oh, you bet, you bet. And, and, and that, you know, I've, uh, I've taught it as focus on the intention, not the method. A lot of other people focus on what you want, not how to get it. And, and that's the trick. You know, I was telling Tr- you earlier. Trusting the I, process, right? Yeah. 
I mean, I had a wise grandmother. She used to say, Terry, the journey is the destination after all. <laughs> so there is no there there. I mean, no, I, we so easily that, forget that, man. I'm, oh, I'm traveling around in this camper right now and, and thinking the next spot will be great, which it will be. I'm heading up to Idlewild, of course, which is one of my favorite spots in, in Southern California. But you're right. There's no there well, there. Look, look back to when there was a, a point not very long ago when uh, the what was, you know, the intention was, get a trailer and a car and travel around and be more mobile and, and have the adventure. Yep. Where does everybody find you, Terry? I'll give it two. My big thing is my wilderness trip. I, I'm doing so much less than I used to. A graduate of mine just redid a, my wilderness website, and I didn't know he was doing it. One day he called and said, Terry, what do you think of this? I just built you a new website. Wow, I looked at it, Terry. It's amazing. Yeah, so let me just, I don't remember what it is. Just a minute, i got to find it here. Uh, it's the wilderness experience, but it's the-wilderness-experience.com. And then there's a, my the one I've used for years, but it's old, 227company.com. Yeah, that is old. That's like 99 old. It was the first to use Flash. <laughs> oh, really? Flash had been about a month old. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's going way back. Cool. So what's yeah. one final thing you want to share with everybody on how to face their dragon and create the impact they're looking to make in the world? You know, I said it earlier, loving. Yeah. Make that a priority, you know, love myself, love others, love the process uh, and have that be a priority. And I, I, found I don't even have to do it perfectly and I don't know that I ever will. But as long as that's an intention as a priority, things, things just work out. Yeah. And one, one thing I like to say is you got to love your fear. Yeah. Love yeah. it all. Yep. I mean, even Trump. <laughs> oh, How do I do that? I don't know. <laughs> you know? How do I? Yeah. Well, the other thing is some people I love <laughs> way over there, you know, I'm not going to participate, but I'll do my I, but, best on that one, brother. It's, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Well, one. it's, those are the, the intention to, and right. I got to go to a pretty high perspective to include that in my loving. <laughs> Understood. Me too, man. All right, yeah. Terry, brilliant stuff, my friend. I'm so excited to see where this, how this uh, podcast shapes up with some of the pre-contextualizing I do. I had some great ideas, just super yeah. grateful for your time today, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. And then, you know, you and I can we'll put the conversation in it to our can, to be continued file. You bet, brother. Sounds you know? good. Thanks yeah. again. All right, Brad. Take care. I want to thank our guest for sharing his heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Terry Tillman. We're also grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Terry at the-wilderness-experience.com and 227company.com. As we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 022. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. And join the conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode 23 because I'll be talking with my sweet friends and badass feng shui consultants, Michael White Ryan and Pamela Edwards Ryan, as we discuss how energies in your home, relationships, and business can keep you stuck from creating what you really want in life. These incredible beings and many more on the Face Your Dragon podcast. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free. Break free.